You're listening to The Homeschool Dropout. I'm your host, Mike Roberts. Let's talk about bridging the gap between homeschool and the professional world. All right, Mike Roberts here. Welcome back, everyone, to another episode of The Homeschool Dropout. We have a very interesting guest today and very highly credentialed with a lot of insight, a lot of perspective on the homeschooling process. So to set the stage and to introduce our guest, we have Nathan Newfeld with us. And Nathan is the National Chief of Pain Medicine and Supportive Care. And so we were talking earlier, and my understanding Mm -hmm. is that's basically a pain doctor that works with cancer patients. Nathan is a doctor of osteopathy, did his residency and his fellowship at Johns Hopkins, and excitingly is a second generation homeschooler, a father of six kids, and homeschools most of his family, and we'll get into those details there. So Nathan, I'm really excited to have you on the show. Thanks for joining. Yeah, awesome. So good to be here. It's so happy we connected. Yeah, you're based back east. I think you're in... The Carolinas or Tennessee? Georgia, actually. So near near Atlanta. Um, oh, that's right. You know, that's right. Yeah, coming from the West Coast, it's all the East, you know. But <laughs> but ultimately, yeah, we've been just outside of of Atlanta, and we actually live in the country on a little ranch and uh, raise farm animals. So we have a lot of fun out here. Yeah, we were just talking. Do you have ducks and chickens? Yes, we do. Yeah, and guinea fowl, which is a whole nother thing altogether. Oh, wow. Yeah, you've really leaned into the domestic, I don't know, fowl and eggs. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Your yeah. family's doing just fine with eggs right now. Yeah, this eggs are the best decision we ever made. No kidding. <laughs> <laughs> I, I will say, so my parents, I think at their peak, we had about 100 chickens. Mm-hmm. And as far as farm animals go, what I'll say is I feel like Little kids books have really painted a very rosy picture of farm animals and they're all very cute and they have like, I don't know, personalities, but chickens for me are the worst. They're disgusting. (laughs) Smell bad. We could take up the whole conversation (laughs) about farm (laughs) theory, but, but ultimately I totally agree with you. They definitely have an affinity for pooping on things they shouldn't. My wife has a great story about poop in a soup. (laughs) <laughs> um, and we've also come home and the door was somehow left open oh, by one no. of the kids. Oh, and no. it's like chicken poop as high as you can like, yep. you know, jump as a chicken. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, it's incredible. And I've had, we've had chickens get picked up by eagles and other like birds. Of oh, yeah. And then honestly, chickens are not nice to each other. The pecking order yeah. is, is pretty intense. And so, yeah. Um, These analogies mean so much more when you've seen it. Absolutely. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I have I deep <laughs> trauma there. And so, yeah. Well, why don't you take things away? I want listeners to have a very good understanding of your homeschooling journey. I think it's very unique. Yeah. You were homeschooled in Canada. So kind of share your story there. Yeah, my parents, and my dad was a pastor for the Evangelical Free Church. And my mom was a missionary for the Evangelical Mennonite Mission Church, EMMC. So they met and we're based out of Canada, even though my mom was a missionary to Mexico and started having children. Me, I was the oldest. And so I got to like most oldest, there's kind of a, a tip of the spear concept that sometimes you need extra sharpening because of that. But ultimately <laughs> it's a really interesting and honorable place to be the first of your family to, to tread through a lot of questions and figure stuff out. And so schooling was the same. I came of school age. My parents were looking at the public schools, went and did some tours. As the story goes, I don't remember, but, (laughs) and ultimately they 
were really kind of disgusted by what they saw. It was a chaos. It was just a disaster. There was no control in the room at all. And and so my my parents were like, uh, we got to find a better solution. And we were in rural, rural Manitoba, Canada. So it's not like there was a plethora of private schools around the corner or other options. It was really public or nothing. But this was, you know, probably it would have been like late 80s, so probably 86, 87, kind of like that. So very early, definitely not a vogue or cool thing to do. Oh, um, especially and, in Canada. Canada, oh, yeah. it's very rare. Yeah, yeah, it was pretty rare then too. We ended up finding quite a few people that were doing it because in the farm lifestyle, it, it sits really well. Like some people would have to just be on a bus for an hour to get to a school. So it was right. this idea of like, hey, let's try this homeschool thing or some small churches would get together and do it. So that was how I started. And we did everything from trying to connect with this because they had a similar program that we actually have available to us in Georgia. We don't use it, but you can use the public school curriculum in the home. And so there was some sort of thing that my mom got into that we tried that. And it was just very different worldview on a lot of topics that are very dear to our family, such as just how nature and biology works and how ultimately we came to being and ontological questions are very different in that curriculum. And so we decided, okay, that's not the right approach. We ended up settling mostly with Bob Jones curriculum and Abeka book, which are more popular American curriculums that we had shipped up to us in Canada. And I remember we'd always get these like it's like a truck full of of boxes of all these books for the year for my, myself and my two younger brothers. And it was always like Christmas for homeschooling families. <laughs> so wait, who, who are those authors? I haven't heard of them before. Yeah, so uh, Becca is a pretty big, well-known homeschooling curriculum that okay. is commonly used. They have a lot of different programs, but they've been doing this very long time. Becca, interesting. That's A-B-E-K-A. Yep. Yep. Yeah. Okay. So that's what we actually use that largely for my children now. And it's tried, tested and true and really, really solid curriculum. Okay. And then Bob Jones is from Bob Jones University is another sort of maybe at the time it was considered a more rigorous program. And but it was very good. I did most of my math and science kind of STEM stuff with that. But it, okay. it was great. I think the the challenge was then my mom got cancer, actually. And as the main teacher and main driver for homeschooling uh, thought and curriculum. It really was kind of tough. And we ended up moving to the U.S. and in North Dakota. And the school was actually pretty decent there, my parents felt. And so I, I did do a little public school, but that would have been seventh and eighth grade. And so then from there, we moved back to Canada, actually for my ninth grade year. And I tried homeschooling a little bit. Then my mom was like, I'm a little too lost and she was still going through all the cancer stuff and was like, well, let's just have you go to public school here. And that was a, a rougher experience. Because I think just like in every situation, there's some really great public schools out there. There's some really awful ones, whether it be the culture or the teacher or whatever. And so I, I did, I finished that year in public, but then my parents felt like, okay, if, at this point, I knew I wanted to be a doctor since I was like 12. So it's like, we really need to find a more stable situation for you because there was still going to be some moving based on my dad being a pastor and some other stuff that was going on in, in the church where he had been employed. And so they decided a boarding school would actually be a good move. And I think this was kind of a unique, it's a, I'm highlighting on something kind of small in the whole scheme of things, but I actually ended up kind of clepping out of 10th grade. And 
I really think the only way I was able to do that was I took all the finals basically for the classes in the sporting school and they allowed me to be a rising 11th grader. So you by tested even, out. I tested out of all of 10th grade. Yeah. And huh. I think it, it wasn't that I'm so bright. It was that as a homeschooler and some of the chaos that had ensued, I had to be a self-learner, you know, and that's really, I think for me, the biggest theme of homeschooling is, and I identify as a homeschooler, even though I truly only got my start as a homeschooler, I ended up graduating from that boarding school, which was Mennonite Collegiate Institute in Gretna, Manitoba. But ultimately the whole process was really, the stage was set by now what we would kind of classify as like a libertarian self-made, you know, (laughs) approach where you really take what you have and you make the most of it. And somehow we got in this conversation with that school about why well, I've done this class and that class already. And they're like, well, what about if you just take all the exams and then you'll be an 11th grader? And I was like, okay. So I remember that summer, like I was studying like 12 hours a day, reading textbooks, uh-huh. taking notes, made it happen. Yeah. And then I graduated at 16 and started college a week after turning 17. So that yeah, was kind of a, a cool process. Wow. Yeah. Very unique. I I am honestly sitting here like jaw dropped that you took a whole summer at that age to kind of just drive your education forward. It's very much self-learner. It reminds me of a conversation I had with a previous guest, Brie Petty, and she talks about a homeschool mindset. It's like a lifestyle where you approach the world realizing that you own your education and there's so much to learn and you just aggressively Mm -hmm. go for it. And you captured that very early on in life. Yeah, no, I think that's so well said and just so important and why I think that even now I'm such a proponent of homeschooling because sure, I had deficits, I had gaps compared to like some sort of a standard that isn't even the standard. You know, truly homeschooling <laughs> should be the standard through which everything else is compared because allowing individuals to pursue their dreams and actually make the most of what I consider to be God-given talents and gifts, you know, the truth is that's what you should be fostering. This generic one size fits all is just not human. And that's, it's an odd kind of concept. It is an odd concept. I, I'm curious how I will frame this comment, I suppose, is I just mentioned to you that I'm reading John Taylor Gatto's Dumbing Us Down. I've heard about it for years. Great book. Great book. And it's kind of spooking me a little bit where <laughs> the way he, he describes the system, the use of bells, the use of turning on your learning, turning off your learning, the response to authority. I'm like, this is... I, I Conditioning. Have, it's, yeah. very, it's a lot of conditioning and it really kind of... I get uncomfortable reading the book a little bit. And so I think everyone should because we've so embraced, even as homeschoolers, we feel often that we are the ones that are at the deficit or the ones that need to arise to everyone else's level when it's just not true. Like it's just not the case. (laughs) So it's kind of a strange phenomenon where we've been duped ourselves to think that we are the the stepchild in the situation, the Cinderella. I see what you're saying, really challenging it. And looking at the public schools and realizing that this is actually unnatural and instead viewing the world through homeschooling first as a baseline this is our baseline on education and then if you need more you public school that approach even for me having been homeschooled and having this podcast i'm having to restructure my reference point it used to be public school and shifting it back to homeschool i really like that it's challenging my worldview a bit okay so then walk us through you went to college at 17 And Mm -hmm. how did you feel in that process? Did you feel prepared coming from your homeschool experience? Yeah, I think 
And, you know, at that point, I had a smattering of experiences. So I, it's hard to recall or relate to what skills are specific homeschool dependent. I definitely, coming from, I guess, a, a smaller Christian school that was boarding school, I also was always very involved in leadership. It's definitely been what I've been drawn to. You know, I was involved in student government and all these other programs and different things in high school. So that was really my stronger play, even for summer camps and different stuff. I was always involved in different things. And so I think I, my parents also made a deal with me is that they wanted me to go to either a Bible school because I was so young or go to a Christian a liberal arts college. So I, I knew that medicine was going to be a long path. I was like, I really don't want to add another one to two years just <laughs> to add it. I have no issue with going to a Bible school, but I was like, let me do a, a Bible integrated curriculum. So there's a couple different schools we looked at. And the one that we settled on was Trinity International University in Chicago. And it turned out to be a fabulous choice for me. It was really, really great. It was a smaller school. Some of my upperclassmen classes were like the major specific classes were like six of us with one PhD teacher. You know, you so you can't get better ratios than that. And it really allowed for me to kind of grow in leadership and be involved in things. I became student body president there for the for two years, not just one, which was typical. And so I did it my junior and senior year and just really excelled in that format. But plus, it was a safe place based on a similar worldview that I already had. And definitely was a, a stretch, I think, in a lot of ways, because I was a really scrappy educator of myself, right? Okay. And there's a lot of perks to that. Like, that's a phenomenal characteristic in the end of your life. But in the <laughs> moment, it often means you have to fight for it. Yeah, uh, because you don't have all the like the the conventional thinking on stuff. And so one of the challenges that I really struggled was like first couple of weeks there, I wrote my first paper. I was in a mod, which means like a, it was a modular homes, like there were residences on campus. So it was like seniors and freshmen and like everyone kind of mixed together. So one of the seniors there was a really great guy. I had him read my paper and he's like, who wrote this? And I was like, well, well, I wrote it. He's like, this is horrible. It's like, this may be one of the worst papers I've ever read. And so I'll pause there and just say that okay. like, a harsh criticism is so important because you can't get better unless you have a little burn, right? And it hurt, of course. For knowing me, I probably had some tears over it because I took <laughs> things so serious. But he actually ended up like mentoring me in writing and was able to like coach me. And now I'm internationally published multiple times. And have spoken all over the world and had to write a lot of stuff. And ultimately, if it wouldn't have been for that kind of push and that maybe slap in the face or just humbling process, there's no way I would have overcome those things and actually gotten better. And that's such an important feature. I think that is a homeschooling characteristic. I, I would totally agree. And even though we're highlighting, for instance, for you, say writing was your gap. And I really mm -hmm. like your scrappy learning. When you're homeschooling, you're pulling from all these different aspects of the world and piecing together your education, when you go through yep. the public system, it's laid out for you and they're, they're training you specifically for the next step. When you're homeschooled, yep. you don't know always what the next step is. And so you reach this point, realize that your scrappiness has some little bit gaps. And what I love about that story is you, in the end, chose your response tough feedback. And writing is a very vulnerable thing. You expose mm -hmm. a lot of yourself in writing. It's not like engineering. I think I hid behind numbers for a lot of years because 
here's the algorithm to get to your solution. You just crank through the algorithm and you, you protect yourself behind mm -hmm. these devices. But writing, you open yourself up. So when someone yeah. criticizes your writing, it's a lot closer to home. And yeah. you've taken that and built something out of that feedback. You chose your response. And I do think, obviously, you can do that through public school. But I do think it's uniquely homeschooling where you're constantly choosing your response to the world. Yeah. Well, and I think the color that you can add to, you know, and this is actually I had my one of my professors, Dr. Grady. He was my poetry professor. And this was probably maybe junior year. And my mom ended up passing away around that time, too. So there was a lot of heart in my writing and poetry drags that out a little more than other mm. classes, probably, too. And he actually pulled me into his class or in his office after one of my papers and was like, like this paper. And I was like, oh, man, here it comes. Like, <laughs> I failed this That's paper. Yeah. And, and so and I was I as a decent student in these classes, even still, because I'm a survivor, right? Like I can figure stuff out. I'll get better. I keep climbing, but it's scrappy. And like I said, and I was like, oh man, what did I do now? I must have misread the, the like understanding of the assignment or what I was supposed right. to write about. And he's like, this is probably one of the best papers I've ever written, read. Hmm. And he's like, the grammar is horrible. And like your spelling even is bad, even with spell check, which I don't understand. But he's like, this is the best paper I've ever read. And when digging into the why, it was that just the way in which I was able to express things. And maybe it's my dad being a pastor, who knows, you know, you've got a lot of analogies sure. for stuff. Sure. The thing is, it was just, you know, and I, it was just full of life to him. And it was so real. And I think that that's something also that I think there's a mixture of things. I was a rural farm kid too. And so seeing nature and seeing the world through a lens of simplicity and also yeah. through the lens of a creator that has created all of this for us to enjoy and steward allows us to have a much different perspective on the scope of these emotions, right? And what they're for and the health in them, but also the danger in them. And, and I think it was just kind of cool to be able to work through that and actually be writing while my mom passed and all these different things. And then to find compliment from professors along the way as encouragement, even though I'd in high school, actually was my paper was read out loud in front of one of my English classes and laughed at by the teacher and all the kids in the class because it was such a poor job writing. So it's been writing is we're just focused on that one aspect. Right, but, right. But these are things that have come out of it, which is kind of interesting. Yeah, I, it, it's providing us with a good, oh, you know what? What is the scriptural language? A, um, a parable, if you will, mm -hmm, yeah. about mm -hmm. you being homeschooled rural, you're able to develop your worldview independently of perhaps... We all take some of our parents' worldview. That's just the way it works. But you didn't Absolutely. have another system transmitting its worldview onto you. And so, you know, as you move into your adult years, if you can carry that with you, perhaps in your writing, that worldview is being expressed because it was really yours as a kid and you mm -hmm. were able to, to develop that. I want to move into your career, but before we go there, let's back up a little bit. I know your faith has really played a big part in, you know, your homeschooling, your childhood and in your adult life. But... Can you share about that relationship you had with your mom being homeschooled, what that was like, and then transitioning, she gets sick and, and that journey and what, how it shaped you as a person? Yeah, well, that's a great question. I think, you know, obviously there's so much pressure in culture right now to minimize parental influence over our children, which is just insane. I really don't even <laughs> understand 
how that's possible or even appropriate. You know, I think in a sense of stewardship is that as a parent, these are God's people, God's children, and I am stewarding them, right? He's given them to me to raise and grow. And I think my parents felt the same way about it. And ultimately going through that process of being able to work through what it was to have real faith, even in in a time when you're dark and things are sad and your mom passes away, but maintaining a perspective of like, my mom poured into us with the years that she had as much as any mom could. She left nothing on the table. It was 100%, like she was a nurse and a nurse educator and had done a bunch of things overseas, but had actually given up her career and licensing to be a nurse in order to raise us boys and the sacrifice that that is. And that's really what parenting is, isn't it? Like good parenting is sacrifice and you have to sacrifice in the right areas that are meaningful and intentional and purposeful. And I think that when it comes to this integrating worldview and purpose, because kids can't formulate, most kids can't formulate what a worldview really is or is to them when they're that young. And so they really need coaching and they need life skills and they need experiences. And if you don't have that, the parent has to provide that for them and infuse the seasoned wisdom that their collection of data can actually propose for the, for the child. And I think that that's so important. And homeschooling is just such a sweet and fragrant way of allowing just good bantering. In our home, we use a lot of Socrates kind of questioning and digging into stuff and like just asking questions because truth is so abundant and so available that you literally have to try to suppress truth in order to make up some sort of other truth path. And that's what's so crazy about how there's all this railroading and conditioning that's going on in the world for our children is that it's so important for us to to push away from that and drive truth as the topic and ask good questions and find the data, do research with the philosophies of like, how are we who we are? And why do we believe what we believe? And it's so important. And we think scripture is a big part of revealing those truths. So memorizing scripture, being a part of our everyday learning and weaving together in a much more kind of classical context of where you're you're building up the grammar and all the way to the rhetoric of what are we doing here and how are we talking about it and discussing it and integrating it into our everyday. And that's what worldview is, but we don't want to talk about worldview because it's such a, an integrating and affliction to people if it's not what they believe. And that's the problem is that we need to believe what truth is and dig into truth. And parents need to be a huge part of that. I'm just sitting here enjoying. I want you to run the podcast, honestly. I'm so deeply <laughs> aligned with everything that you're saying. I feel like some areas where we struggle and I've had to, you know, I don't have children, but I do yeah. exist in the world and I have to interact with people and allowing people to have their worldview. Because I, I feel like I felt like when I was homeschooled, there was a lot of pressure from neighbors that wasn't even articulated to me, but I just felt, I just felt that we were like not seeing things the way everyone else was seeing them. But that was my parents' prerogative. That was their honor and their right to, to realign how they wanted to transmit their worldview to their children. And Mm so I think it's homeschooling deeply reaffirms that very special relationship between parent and child. And I would argue to say, I don't think there's another education model that does it better. 
Well, and I would argue that I think all, especially like, I'll talk from a Christian vantage point, but uh-huh. you know, all Christians need to be homeschoolers. Now that doesn't mean what people think it means. I think that the basis and beginning of all education has to come from the parents. These other models, whether it's public or whether it's a classical school or whether it's some other vocational school or whatever people find, or if it's them creating their curriculum completely on their own from scratch, it all needs to start with parental involvement and fine-tuning and also knowing their children to such a degree that they can tailor and customize the needs for every individual child in their home. Because no one knows the children more than the kids. And parents cannot relinquish the control or the the sense of ownership to anyone else. And that's what public school actually, I think, desires is they desire to be the ones who get to tell you what you can or cannot do with your kid. Um, And that's not okay, because it's simply not. No, no, I don't want to burrow too much into the space, but I want to contribute as well and say that I think we have fallen prey to a lot of expert deferral. We're abdicating Mm -hmm. our ability to make a decision to think critically about it and to choose for our own family. And we just defer to an expert. If X individual has such and such letters behind their name, then yep. we defer. And I, I just, to, to whoever, you know, listeners, parents and children, holding on to your ability to view the world and make your own choice, I think is very precious and becoming more rare. But homeschooling mm. helps you do that. It helps you, it really helps you stand individually in a very... Yep ever-growing crowd. Yeah, absolutely correct. No, and I really love that that statement about culture struggles with deferring to specialists. As a subspecialist, I even can respect that. The, <laughs> there's, there's, I didn't prep this quote, but so I'm going to botch it, I'm sure. But William Osler, like, who's considered the founder of modern medicine, was a Hopkins guy early, early on, and a Canadian originally. But he was known to say that you can't be a subspecialist unless you're a good generalist. And in this context of what we're talking, that truth is accurate in that we need to have a very solid worldview from which we're working before you can even speak into a child's life. And a complete deferring is not helpful. Like the parents can be a much better specialist because they are the generalist. You know, they see all aspects of the children's lives and it's so important for them. Do you feel like your conviction in your faith and your, I don't know, your fondness for your faith, the role it's played in your life, do you think that would have been different if you hadn't been homeschooled? You know, I would would hope not and don't, theologically, I don't believe it would have been, but the Lord used all those circumstances to allow me, I think, the data required to see life as I see it. And so I feel his sovereignty in that is something that we also as parents can get a little uh, befuddled with and... It's easy to try and manufacture or play chess with our children because we are just so determined that we're going to win the situation. And I think ultimately we have to be careful that we're not over-restricting and over-helicopter parenting and trying to micromanage the fluidity of an educational process. And ultimately the fluidity of vocation is really what we're talking about, right? And I think that that's a tough thing. Entrepreneurs get this better. But like guys like me and in my world don't get that because you, you're you so focused and you're so mm-hmm. dedicated to a specific endpoint that it can become really hard to see 
the forest for the trees. Definite trade-off in that space. I would agree there. Okay, listeners, by now you should know that I love reading. It's one of my favorite pastimes, but there just isn't enough time to read all the books I want. This is when I use Audible. Right now, I am listening to Living from a Place of Surrender by Michael A. Singer. It's a great one to listen to, and it's definitely challenging my worldview. For a free 30-day trial of Audible offered exclusively through the Homeschool Dropout, go to audibletrial.com forward slash the homeschool dropout. That's audibletrial.com forward slash the homeschool dropout. Something that I like about the way you phrase things, you're able to hold a duality in your mind. I use the word data all the time. I work as an engineer. Um mm-hmm. And I'm constantly trying to find the right data to inform my next choice. Data is, it faces the past, but then we use it to face the future and try and make the right decision. And so when I hear you, it's just interesting to me as a man of faith and as a very accomplished doctor in medicine, you're using these words interchangeably, you know, faith, data, decision-making worldview. And I, I guess I'm impressed that not everyone is able to hold those dualities so closely knit. Yeah. Well, and I'm definitely not a dualist, just to be clear with that. But but sure, I, think, sure. I think that, yes, there is parallels and in a dual sort of dyad kind of sense that you have to interplay these, these realities of worldview, philosophy, religion, spirituality, and a manifestation in the world and a natural sovereignty, as I think of it, probably, where all these things are interwoven and have parallels and even are allegorical to a point of being parables. That's how Jesus taught. And I think how we should think of teaching and education as well. And yeah, so there is there is huge truth to what you say about how it's important to, to use what we have around us to basically show the wonderfulness of who God is. And that's, that's a really a life skill that you have to continue to foster. I can feel from you that you feel very secure and balanced in that space that I don't always feel yeah. from people who have come from a religious background and entered very technical spaces. I would like to say a story about that. So actually, sure. yeah. we never got through the rest of my training, which then I'll stop on and come back to this. But yeah, so I did medical school in Las Vegas and then at Turo, Nevada. And then I ended up going to internship in Ohio. And then I went to Hopkins for a residency in physical medicine and rehab. And then always had a love for cancer patients, actually wanted to be an oncologist because of my mom. And I was going to be that son that cured cancer. (laughs) And then, but then I ended up doing that my residency in physical medicine rehab because I was honestly, it was too close being an oncologist. I would have been crying with every patient, I think. Mm. And so then I ended up missing doing procedures because I thought about doing neurosurgery for a while and really loved it. And so I ended up doing an interventional pain fellowship, which is an anesthesia-based training for pain. And it uses procedures, injections, minor surgeries, and things to help patients with pain. And I still loved cancer patients. So I ended up pursuing a career serving cancer patients and terminal patients with my skills as a proceduralist to treat their pain. So that's really largely what I do. I do medication management too, but it's mostly trying to find aggressive ways to help them. But in my going back to the point is that In my training at Hopkins, there was a point where one of the professors, like everyone knew I was a believer and a Christian, and it had its challenges for sure. You know, for the most part, no one cared. And everyone's like, whatever, you do your thing, I'll do mine. And it wasn't a problem. But this one professor decided to make a big statement at one of our little small group get togethers where there's you know probably 12 or 15 of us from the residency and goes into how there's no room for anyone who believes in God and creation to be in science. 
And so if you believe in creation, you just need to get up and leave. And I was like, well, so I, I didn't know what to do because it kind of took me aback. It was a little bit obvious to everyone else she was talking to me. Oh, um, oh so it did feel kind of targeted. Oh, no, it was definitely targeted. Oh, boy. Okay. Um, this professor knew all of us. And so your, your point about how it's not typical for science and data people to really have this relationship with a creator and yeah. uh, an approach to science that is much more natural and Judeo-Christian really is right. what it comes down to. And I didn't, so I didn't leave, but I still took a back by it. I didn't talk to her about it afterwards. And of course she said it wasn't about me, but, but the thing was that this is a challenge. There is so much that we have to fight against in being able to represent our thoughts and values and views and that we have to become really articulate and capable. And I think that that's a, a challenge. But as a homeschooler, I think you have some innate confidence that either your parents exuded for you and you can actually kind of emanate or just bring that to life where you're you're trying to do something that's different. You're a salmon swimming upstream sometimes. Yeah. And it has good purpose and good value but going with the flow like is just not a good fit. And it, and I think that ultimately that is kind of it's a Christian mantra for sure. But I think other groups also feel the same way. And I'm not saying that we should always seek adversarial relationships, but it is that we need to be able to stand firm on our own two feet in an academic sense and an apologetic sense and actually be unapologetic of who we are. And if that's not the path for us, if someone closes that door harshly because of it, move on and something better will come of it. And so it's definitely made me think that, okay, yeah, science is, there is some hostility. And I think even the idea of science has become a very hostile space, even over the last couple of years with, we don't need to get into COVID discussions, but I think that there's been some perverse thinking of what science is or isn't. And science is really a collection of questions that are very strategic and very intentional and then very methodical approach, which is the scientific method, to go through and actually answer those questions. And I think when we no longer trust the process and we add a postmodern subjectivity into that to where now my truth is my truth, you lose any sense that science has any value because you can't have subjective truth and a process that reveals truth. They don't coexist. And so now it's being you know, bastardized in, in this idea of saying that, well, this is science. It's like, what science? Like That's opinion. <laughs> you know, there's so much opinion out there that's being toted as science. And I'm like, this is, this is not science, y'all. Like, I don't, I'm not a, like a big time researcher, but like, I know what science is. That is not right. science. Um, and so it's just so funny how we, we blend together these concepts and that's, that can be a real challenge. Absolutely. It can be a real challenge. I really, and again, I don't want to make this a COVID conversation, but for me, it highlighted a lot of those aspects and truly through COVID and through probably the last three or four years, I have remembered my homeschool days of feeling like we were just, we were doing it on our own. And I felt very alone in a lot of ideological and philosophical worldview spaces in my adult years. But I think I've anchored on those moments as a kid where I, I was like, oh, I've done this before. You know, I've been, been the one on the fringe for so long that that feeling is very manageable for me now. <laughs> it's funny you bring up science. I actually wrote an article, I think in 2020, it was published with the Mises Journal discussing the conflation between science and morality. And I felt mm -hmm. like we were merging on some really big issues here. And so I think you've touched on some of those points where despite I myself going against the quote unquote science, 
I just felt that I had been so confused with morality that I needed to stand on my own and needed to set my own course despite the expert opinions that were going on. I feel like truly homeschooling can empower that in a very special way because you learn that individuality and curiosity are so much more powerful than conformity. Absolutely. So you are homeschooling, Nathan. You decided to homeschool your own children and you're living rurally. Just kind of talk to listeners about your decision to homeschool. How does your family do it? What philosophies do you follow? You know, it's kind of interesting. My my wife is an army brat and has lived all over the world. And that's probably because the one advice I think that's the most important for anyone that is a homeschooler that wants to homeschool is you need to marry someone that's willing to homeschool too. <laughs> so otherwise you won't homeschool. So I think that's been a really, really cool blessing from the Lord, just that my wife was not homeschooled and has a hundred percent public school background and is willing early on to try this. And we too have tried many different things, especially with our oldest and he's the tip of our spear. And, you know, we've done various philosophies and like we did, We've never probably unschooled, but other than that, we've probably tried it, you know, and even now we have various different models for each, you know, I think where we are right now is we're doing a Becca for the younger ones to do a lot of the phonics and the math and early kind of consistency with it. And we do the video programs with it. So again, homeschooling for us looks very different than it did for me as a kid, because with technology advancements, very few people, I think you still can, and there still are, but very few people that we know are actually pure homeschooling, right? They're involved in a co-op or they're involved in a, a drop-off program for a day or two days, or they're doing online resources. And so we are trying to bring the best of all things to our children. Some of my children, the older ones are going to, it's kind of like a, a college type program where it's actually a classical day or, or two day program where they have actual teachers. And so it's, but then they do all the school at home during the week. So it's a hybrid program. And then my younger two are doing mostly at home, but then they do classic conversations as well. So that kind of builds the framework for their education and gives a co-op where there's some outside learning. And then my one daughter who we adopted from Honduras has a severe CP, is nonverbal and non-ambulatory. She actually attends public school right now. And the reason is, is that they have more consistent therapy services for her. It's been a good thing for this season. I don't know how long we'll do that, but that's what we're doing right now. And yeah, it seems to be a good fit. So, you know, all the kids kind of have a little bit of a a twist to what they're wanting. So for my oldest, we even think that this next year, he's going to actually do some dual enrollment. He actually started college before he even started high school and was already getting credits from local universities. Wow. Okay. Yeah. But just checking boxes because he wants to be a builder and wants to build custom homes. And so we're actually thinking he may dual enroll in a technical program, become a certified electrician first, and then go on to a four-year college to get additional training if he desires at that point. Can you imagine if he got his electrician's license before he's like 18 or 19, then does four years? So much more under his belt. Oh man. And he's like, yeah, I've actually seen this. Like this theory actually applies in reality. Like Like even now, if I went back to medical school, Man, I learned so much more because it means so much now. Yeah. And I think Uh trying to weave together practical learning, like we're not a family that is wanting to pay for our children to get a philosophy degree. No offense (laughs) for people that did that, but we want them to, if we're going to pay for it, they need to develop a skill and have a skill from that exposure 
Yeah. You know, I think that's that's an interesting thing. We're working through what a classical model looks like too, because we have real respect for it. My son loves Latin. It's actually his favorite class. But you know, the practicality for a builder is questionable, you know, <laughs> so it, he, he'll have, you know, a really cool Latin phrase on his trucks, you know. Yeah, there we go. Yeah. Great. Great bumper stickers. <laughs> That's exactly right. So, <laughs> yeah, and, but there's huge value in just the process of learning. Like, I think uh-huh. that's uh-huh. the value of Latin. He can learn with it and learn how to learn. And he yeah. has been able to be better at English because of it and better at Spanish. And so these things all dovetail together. I, I think it's really cool. I'm excited for your kids. I My brother, he decided to go get his electrician's journeyman's, I think. And it was yeah. such a good choice for him. He's very hands-on. It's very practical. It's very real world. He and I are very different. I leaned much more into the academics. But homeschooling, and I think my parents especially, freed us from feeling like we had to go to elite universities. And that's great. I think that's fine. But we were free to make our choice through it all. And I feel like your kids are are getting that. It's really exciting. Kind of closing down here a little bit. Is there any advice you would have for new homeschooling families? There's a lot of pandemic homeschoolers who had their worldview challenged through through the Mm -hmm. shutdowns during COVID. So any words of advice for them? Man, there's so many. But I think in general and in summary is that be encouraged. I think number one is that if you're a family of faith, I think like just trusting that the Lord is sovereign in these things. Now, even my path, there's so many times I was heading 110 miles an hour, like the neurosurgery thing. I was going for it. I was doing it. And the Lord closed that door and opened up other ones uh, that led me to Hopkins and so many other things that I would have never even done or pursued. And now I have truly the best job for me ever. It is the most phenomenal opportunity to do ministry type doctoring every day. And I love it. And it provides well for my family. And ultimately, there's many times where I had people tell me, you can't be a doctor, you're not smart enough or this, you're not good enough at this or blah, blah, blah. And just, you got to just continue on the path and just be encouraged and find yourself in community with other people of like mind. I think that it's really important. You know, we get so stuck also on just not uh, like judging other options, because if you're doing it and you take so much lift to like be a homeschooling family, I think just be really gracious to those that haven't drank the Kool-Aid yet. Um, <laughs> and and also be gracious to those that think you have drank the Kool-Aid and you're like, I did. And they're like, I know. And you that's crazy. And so it just there's a lot of like grace just needing to be given to yourself and to others and just embrace it wholeheartedly and with vigor and with excitement because you're doing something that's really meaningful for your kids and they will be fine. You know, like even kind of the whole purpose of your podcast is to, to talk about like these alternative routes to professions, it can be done and they will be scrappy. They will have the life skills to make it if they want it and so choose. And I think that how you parent them does matter. And I think that you should encourage excellence and greatness. And I, and I don't think that it's wise to to be completely experiential and not involve structure. You know, there does have to be structure to learning, but I think help the kids see the value in it and help them explore what that structure is to them and what works best. And it just really can be a beautiful thing to see it just organically grow over time. It's a slow, patient process, but it is fabulous and rewarding. I think my mom would love to hear you say that. She had 10 kids, decided to homeschool, and she there was a lot of trepidation. You know, she's very nervous. But it it I think her hearing you say those words when she was just starting that it doesn't have to be this thing you just 
you trust the process, you trust your kids, you allow them to be themselves and give them learning opportunities. I think it really, for some reason, what you were saying really made me think about my mom. I think it would have saved her during very difficult times. Homeschooling, mm-hmm. it's very isolating. So It is. And that's where you have to be in community. For us, we found that a lot through church, through other homeschooling co-ops. Honestly, the co-ops, like this little secret, is probably more from my wife than my kids. My kids are all <laughs> extreme extroverts, and my wife is too. But it just allows her an option to go and like chat with other moms and be yeah. in other fellowship circles. And it's yeah. very important for the one who's predominantly homeschooling to be able to do that. Okay, Nathan. Well, I cannot thank you enough for your time. I really appreciate it. And I'm excited for listeners to hear what you have to say. I think that your episode will provide a lot of value for them. And if in the future you want to talk to all three of my brothers, which are all homeschooling now, that would be very cool. Too. Okay. So. I was going to say, I might get you back on here with your brother. So we'll talk about that. Yeah. That's awesome. That's awesome. Okay. All right. Thanks, Nathan. Take care. Thank you. Take care. Hey, listeners. If you enjoy the homeschool dropout, the best way to support the show and increase its value to you and other homeschoolers is to subscribe, rate, and review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. So head there now and we'll see you next week.